All right. I'll give you guys a tip. If you're going to get up and speak in front of a bunch of people, don't have a really spicy burrito before you do it. Anyway. <laughs> I've got my water here. If I look like I'm starting to get sick, maybe someone get a bucket. No. <laughs> joking, joking. I'm good. Oh, helpful. All right. Let's actually pray, then we're going to um, jump into this passage in 1 Thessalonians. Oh God, we thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to open your word and to look at it, and I pray that as we do that, um, we know you'll be speaking to us, and so we pray that we'll be listening. Um, yeah, we pray that uh, you will be uh, showing us how you want us to live, and that we'll be changing uh, the way we live to be more in line with uh, what you want and your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, has anyone ever got lost in a crowd before? Now, I don't, I don't mean, uh, have you ever felt insignificant, like no one notices me? I mean, have you ever actually been lost in a crowd? Like, maybe you've been uh, leaving a packed stadium, you've been at a sports event or a concert, you're leaving a packed stadium and you're walking with your mate, you're talking to them, reminiscing on the game or reminiscing on the concert... And you laugh at something, and then you turn to them, and you realise, wait a second, that's not my mate. I'm laughing at a seven-foot Maori All Black supporter. <laughs> Your mate's 50 metres back with his arms in the air. He's lost in the crowd. You're lost in the crowd. It's actually pretty easy to get lost in a crowd. I remember this one time when I was younger. Uh, me and my family were travelling uh, over in England, and we'd just actually come to the end of the holiday, and we're heading uh, to the airport to fly home. We were heading to the airport from the middle of the, the city in London and it was peak hour, absolutely packed. Sydney is really busy in peak hour, but London is totally next level. We were trying to get on the tube to travel uh, to the airport and we're at the station and it was packed, people were shoulder to shoulder and my family's a pretty big family. There were seven of us there um, all together and in that crowd, we just got dispersed everywhere. Like We were, we were looking around and... All of a sudden, there was nowhere, no, we couldn't see each other. You couldn't see someone five metres away from you. That's how packed it was. And the train pulls into the station and we all just jump on the train, not knowing at all whether like, we all got on there or not. We're all feeling pretty lost in the crowd. But different people react differently in those situations. My, uh, and they react differently depending on how serious you realise the situation is. Um, my dad remembers just freaking out. He was like, oh man, my kids are like all on different train, like all in different carriages in the trains. He had no idea how many of us actually made it on the train. For all he knew, like we had no idea where we were gonna where we were going, where we would get off. For all he knew, he knew my sisters could be heading to France at the moment. Like he realized the seriousness of that situation and what could go wrong. But my brother, he's actually here tonight. My brother who was probably, I don't know, like eight at the time, he had no idea what was going on. Absolutely no idea. The whole trip that we'd been over in London, he'd been wanting to buy this Manchester United soccer ball and he hadn't got it yet and on the train trip, he's like lost in the crowd with everyone else and his main concern at that time was like, where the heck am I going to buy a Manchester United soccer ball? So getting lost in a crowd and getting separated from people can be a pretty freaky situation especially if you have no idea about the safety of the other people you're with. And that's the sort of situation that Paul and his mates found themselves in when they were in Thessalonica. Paul was feeling this sense of separation. 
The verses just before what we read in chapter 3 tonight show us how Paul was feeling from being separated from the Thessalonians. But to actually understand what he was feeling, we need to understand some of the things that went on for them when Paul was in Thessalonica. Now, the Thessalonians, we've been reading about them as we've been tracking through this book. The Thessalonians, they were a church, um, a gathering of people who'd been gathered together because they'd all heard the message uh, or heard Paul preach the gospel message to them. They'd heard the good news about Jesus and they believed it. And Paul had seen this happen for them. Uh, He'd spent a short amount of time with them and he was preaching the gospel to them, seeing them respond with faith and then starting to teach them what it looks like to live the Christian life. But just as they were getting in the groove, and just as they were getting to know the Thessalonians, trouble struck. There was this, these other people in the city of Thessalonica who weren't so keen on this new guy, Paul. Um, they, were, they were actually jealous that he'd made such an impact in such a short amount of time. He'd really managed to gather together this large group of people now who were following Jesus. And so they wanted to do something about it. And they got together this mob. Anyone ever been in a mob before? It's like a gang of people. Have you been in a gang? I don't know. I reckon it's a pretty scary thing. (laughs) A gang is pretty scary or a mob's pretty scary. Especially if you're the one being mobbed up against. Like this guy. Check out this video. I think this is a different one. That's a mob. That's pretty scary, I reckon. If that happened to me, I'd freak out. But that, that's what they were trying to do to Paul and his mates. Except they weren't just pranking them. They were actually really serious. They were angry and violent. Check out these verses from Acts 17. This is where we read about this event. Um, they're up on the screens. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. I think that's a pretty funny description. Sounds like they got together like Voldemort and Darth Vader and co. But they rounded up these bad characters from the marketplace and they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. This isn't some prank. This is some serious mobbing. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out, of, out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers or other Christians before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decree saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. uh, Then they made Jason and the others postpone and let them go. See, they're not actually after Jason here. The the mob were after Paul and his mates. And so that night, the Christians in Thessalonica, these baby Christians who were just learning how to live the Christian life, they sent Paul away to protect his safety. Can you imagine how Paul was feeling? He had to run away from, from the city in the middle of the night, barely able to say goodbyes, 
He didn't have Facebook Messenger to be able to text them a quick goodbye message. He couldn't follow their Instagram to get updates on what was happening. He'd just lost contact with them. He couldn't even give them a call. See, Paul had established this baby church and now it felt like he was abandoning them. And when Paul's writing this letter to the Thessalonians, a bit of time has passed since that riot, but he's desperate to see them. He wants to make sure they're okay. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says that he can't stand it any longer not hearing from them. He wants to make sure they're okay, but he can't get there himself, so he sends his mate Timothy to them. Um, And after spending some time with the Thessalonians, Timothy eventually comes back to Paul and gives him an update and brings him some news about how they were going. What a wait for Paul. He's hanging out for this news and finally it arrives. And in this passage that we just read together, we see that Paul is absolutely stoked with the news that Timothy brings back. The Thessalonians are doing really, really well. And the passage that we're looking at tonight shows us a few things, but the big thing that it shows us, it helps us to get into the mind of Paul. We get to learn how he feels, we get to learn how he thinks in and amongst everything that's just happened. It's a super helpful passage for us, and mainly for one reason, because this passage shows us what Paul is stoked to see happening in the lives of young Christians. Remember, Paul was only with the Thessalonians for this really short amount of time before he had to rush away. And the Thessalonians, they were really pretty young Christians. Most of us here tonight, I reckon, are still young Christians. Maybe some of you guys have been Christians for three years, maybe some two years, maybe some of you became a Christian this year. Maybe some of you have been following Jesus for a little bit longer than that. Um, But when you think about it, if most of us live to like we're 70 or 80, we're still pretty young Christians at the moment. Some of you guys aren't Christians and there's, there's other things that this passage will have to say to you, so keep on listening in. But firstly, what sort of things should you and others be stoked to see happening in your life as a young Christian, if that's who you are? That's the stuff that this passage answers for us. We get into the head of Paul on this stuff. And we get to see the sorts of things that he loves seeing happening in the lives of young Christians. So let's um, get ourselves into the mind of Paul. And let's do that by asking this one question. Why is Paul so stoked? What is so good about the news that Timothy brings back to him? Well, the first answer to that question is that Paul is stoked because of their continuing faith. Their continuing faith. Check out chapter 3, verse 6. This is where we started reading tonight. It says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith. Notice how Paul talks about the good news that Timothy brought him. He uses the same word there that he, that, um, he uses when he talks about the good news of the gospel or the message of Jesus. It's the only other time that he uses that word other than when he's actually talking about the gospel, which shows us that this is a pretty big deal for Paul. He's stoked about this news. And what is the good news that he's, he's stoked about? Well, it's news about their faith. This is good news that Paul really needed to hear because he's been having a pretty rough time. Notice that in verse 7. Check out verse 7. Therefore, 
brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you. And why? Because of your faith. See, Thessalonica wasn't the only place that Paul faced opposition and persecution. Paul Paul was harassed pretty much everywhere he went. And so for Paul to hear good news about this young church that he planted made him so happy. But it's their faith in particular that gets him stoked. Now, what actually is faith? What is faith? And why is it something for Paul to get really stoked about? Faith actually just means simply to trust. Um, when you have faith in something, you trust it. I'm trusting this lectern right now to like, hold my Bible up and stuff. We're all trusting this building to shelter us from the rain and not fall down on us. Um, but we, we trust some pretty crazy... We put our trust in some pretty crazy things every day. When you're driving down, um, driving to Sydney and you're going over Mooney Mooney Bridge at like 100 kilometres an hour, or probably some of you can only go over at 90, sucks to be you, but you're going over Mooney Mooney Bridge and maybe you need to stop all of a sudden for some reason. You're trusting in just a few bits of rubber, the width of my hand, to get the job done for you. That's pretty crazy. Um, When you make a smoothie in the morning, when you make a smoothie, you add in the banana, you add in the blueberries, you add in the strawberries... You're trusting that there's not going to be a needle in the strawberries that's going to like, smash up your blender. So we put our, put our trust in things every day. And that's faith. It's about trust. But the Thessalonians, they weren't putting their trust in something um, that someone had made. Their faith was in Jesus. Check out verse 8. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. When Paul talks about standing firm there, he's talking about having faith. And he says that their faith is in the Lord, which is just another name for Jesus. That really describes every Christian. A Christian is simply someone who's put their trust in Jesus. A Christian is someone who recognises that they've wronged God, um, that they've ignored Him, that they've lived a life rebelling against Him, and they turn to Jesus and trust that His death on the cross is what makes them right with God. Have you done that like the Thessalonians? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? The Thessalonians, they heard, the, heard Paul's message about Jesus, they wrestled with it, they saw that it was true, and then they trusted it. And becoming a Christian is actually that simple. And it's an invitation that's on offer to all of us. So there's an invitation here to to wrestle with the the message of Jesus and respond to it with faith and in trust. But notice that faith for the Thessalonians isn't just a one-time thing. They don't put their trust in Jesus and then move on to something else. And that's what really gets Paul stoked here. Paul's stoked because of their continuing faith. Did you notice that in verse 8? They're standing firm in the Lord. It's a present, ten- present tense thing. They have a continuing faith. Which looks like what in the actual Christian life? What does it look like to have a continuing faith? Well, if you're, if you're standing firm in Jesus, then we'll be continuing to trust Him as our Saviour. 
See, the awesomeness of the message of the cross, the gospel message, means that when we turn and trust in Jesus, we're saved from the punishment of our sin, we're forgiven, we're clean. That's what faith in Jesus does. But what happens when we go on and sin again? We steal again. We get angry to the point that we lash out at someone. We look at porn again. We get drunk at a party and do something that we never thought we would. Where do we, where do we go now? You might be thinking, God forgave me for my sin and cleansed me. I can't face going back to him. Surely he's given up on me. Guys, one of the ways a, con- one of the ways a continuing faith is shown is by how we respond in sin. A continuing faith continues to turn and trust in Jesus. A continuing faith knows the truth of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's on the screen. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, a, a continuing faith, a person with a continuing faith will turn to Jesus in their sin knowing that He is our only hope in those times. He's our Saviour. But the person who's standing firm, the person with a continuing faith like the Thessalonians, isn't just the person who continues to trust Jesus as as their Saviour, but also the person who continues to live with Him as their Lord and King. See, when we turn to trust Jesus as our Saviour, we also turn to trust Him as our Lord. We turn... We trust Him to show us the best and right way to live. We listen to Him. And so the person with a continuing faith continues to trust Jesus as their Lord. They continue to listen to what He has to say about the way they should live. So how are you going at listening to Jesus and living with Him as Lord? How are you going at obeying what He says? If you're a Christian, how are you going at this? How are you going at being generous with the way you use your money? See, Jesus has a lot to say about money in the Bible. It's almost one of his favourite topics. And he talks about it a lot because it's a topic that really gets to our heart. If you're a Christian, I wonder if you're listening to what Jesus has to say about how you use your money. See, a person with a continuing faith will continue to trust what Jesus says, trusting how he wants, that how he wants you to live is good and right. And so a person with a continuing faith will start to change the way they use their money. Now, that's just one example of, of, um, of how you could change your life to, to live with Jesus as Lord. And I reckon there was, there was, that this was the sort of things that Timothy noticed about the Thessalonians' faith, how they responded in their sin, how they continued to trust Jesus with the way they lived. We could give heaps of examples, but the Thessalonians' life showed that they had that kind of faith. And to hear about it made Paul absolutely stoked. Paul stoked because of the faith that the Thessalonians had, but it's not the only thing that gets him pumped. There's another thing that Paul is stoked to see happening in the lives of the Thessalonians. See, Paul's stoked because of their growing love. That's the second thing. Check out chapter 3, verse 6 again. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. 
Paul isn't just stoked about the Thessalonians' continuing faith, but he's also stoked about their love. And this isn't the first time that Paul has mentioned this, uh, mentioned their love in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, you might remember that Paul's thankful to God for the Thessalonians' labour prompted by love. See, they're the kind of people who do stuff for others because of the love that they have. And Paul's thankful for their love in another letter as well. Actually, in in 2 Thessalonians, you don't have to turn to it, it'll come up on the screens. In 2 Thessalonians, um, he says this, We ought always to thank God for you. Which really is just saying we should always thank God, uh, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. So there he's, he's stoked about their faith again. But also... And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. See, the Thessalonians have an increasing and growing love. And Paul's stoked to see that happening for them. It's something that actually always makes or gives Paul confidence when he sees people growing in their love for others. Because it gives him confidence that God is at work in them. Because it's actually God who grows love in us as Christians. Do you ever find it difficult to love people? Ever find yourself uh, naturally criticising or thinking badly about other people? Ever find yourself preferring to be selfish with your time uh, rather than being generous for others? See, loving people doesn't always come naturally for us. And as Christians, God is actually the one who is able to work in us to grow us in love. And Paul's seeing that happening for the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, and it gets him pumped. And he wants to see it happening more and more. Come back to chapter 3 and have a look at verse 12. Uh, in these verses, 11 to 13, Paul prays a few prayers for the Thessalonians, but notice the big one here in verse 12. He says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Notice how Paul thinks that. Uh, notice how Paul thinks the Thessalonians' love is going to grow. Paul has confidence in God that He will do the work in them, causing their love to grow. But does that mean the Thessalonians just sat back, did nothing, and God just made them more loving people? Well, no, because remember back in um, chapter one, Paul talks about it as a labor of love. This is something that they worked really hard at. But ultimately, it's God who was at work in them, causing them to be a loving people. It's actually a bit like when you use steroids. Nick told us about endone last week, but this week I'm going to tell you about steroids. Um, Now again, steroids, not a great thing to use. Um, They can really mess you up. And while they might make you bigger and more ripped, they can do a whole lot of other stuff to your body that you really just don't want. So don't use steroids. But when someone does use steroids, they do it to build muscle really quickly. Steroids do that, they just build muscle. But steroids do their thing when the person taking them puts them to use. Um, When they hit the gym and work out, the steroids go into overdrive and they lay muscle on top of muscle. It's the steroids that are doing the job, but they require work and effort. 
And it's the same thing with a growing love. God is the one who does that work for us. He's the one who changes us to be more loving. He's the one who changes our thinking about other people. He's the one who grows us in humility so that we're less selfish with our time. Which actually means that if we're to grow in love like the Thessalonians, we need to first turn to God. We need to ask God to do that work in us. Like steroids building muscle, God can build love in our hearts. So if you find it difficult to be a loving person, then the first step should be to turn to God and ask Him to do His work in you. Acknowledge that you need His help to love people well. And then work at it. Hit the gym. Start labouring at love like the Thessalonians. Maybe sit next to that person at school who you don't really know all that well and get to know them. Maybe politely walk away from that conversation that, that's aiming to tear someone down and then think about how you could build that person up next time you see them. Maybe spend 10 minutes extra um, with your mum and dad, taking an interest in their day and in how they're, how they're going. Maybe take the wheelie bins out for the old lady across the street from you. These are small labours of love, but ones that God will use to grow us in a character of love. See, God is the one who grows us in love, but we need to hit the gym. Paul heard that the Thessalonians were growing in love like this, and it made him so stoked. Is that something that's happening for you? Is it a priority of yours to grow in love? See, Paul's so stoked with this news that Timothy brings back to him about the Thessalonians. These guys are young Christians, and Paul can see that they're continuing and growing where it really matters. Their faith is in Jesus. Their faith in Jesus is continuing, and it's being shown by how they live. Their love for others is growing. God's growing it in them, but they're working really hard to see it happen. This is the sort of stuff that we should be stoked to see happening in our own lives, but even more so, this is the sort of stuff that we should be stoked to see happening in each other's lives as well. Continuing faith, growing love. Let's pray that those are the things that EV Youth Seniors will be known for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage in 1 Thessalonians where we can see uh, what made Paul really stoked about how the Thessalonians were going. That they had a faith that continued continue to trust Jesus as their saviour and as their Lord and that they had a love that was growing. God, we pray that these will be the things that we care about, um, continuing to trust Jesus and continuing to grow in love. We pray that these are the things that we'll be concerned about for each other as well. Um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.